Hi, and welcome to another edition of Transvox. Uh, and today I've been trusted on my own. Jenny's not with me, but instead I'm joined um, with a special guest, uh, Shay Brown from uh, Transactual, which is a fascinating organisation, and uh, I'm looking forward to find out finding out most most about what you do, what it's that you're about, how do you work, all sorts of things. So, um, hello, Shay. Hi, really pleased to be here, Gillian. Great, looking forward to chatting. And your pronouns for it, just so everyone's clear? Uh, yeah, my name is Shay Brown. I'm Director of Operations, amongst other things, at Transactual. And my pronouns are he and him. Brilliant, super. Well, I guess it's probably most uh, appropriate if you want to tell us something about yourself and something about Transactual, in either order, which would you prefer? Oh, it all, it all will sort of intermingle together. <laughs> so... Um, the birth of Transactual, um, Transactual in true trans fashion has had a birth and a rebirth. Um, so we were founded um, all the way back in 2017. I was a primary school teacher at the time. So I'm a um, former teacher, although about to sort of do the odd bit here and there of supply teaching um, from September. Um, but yes, I, I was a teacher. There were lots of, sort of other people involved in co-founding Transactual mm. and it was out of a sense of frustration and sort of anger at the way myths were being spread about trans people, about our lives, about our rights and Transactual as an organisation established ourselves to challenge those myths and to spread, to spread some facts and you know, raise people's voices, get sort of actual, actual, reliable, researched, well-referenced information out there. Actually, what happened for the first few years was that Transactual existed almost entirely online, um, you, you know, using the sort of graphics that I'd made in um in microsoft powerpoint believe it or not yeah. um and sort of very very low tech very grassroots people doing what they can here and there um come 2020 weeds um fundraised to pay a year's worth of website costs and we were able to um get a website um up and running by then a lot of um, people had had to step back, so it was me doing a bulk of the work with sort of help from a couple of others. Um, then um, step in um, wonderful Helen Belcher, fantastic Jane Fay, who sort of you know had been in touch with in the past and sort of had um, had reason to work with them in the past. And they said, "Well, look, why don't we why don't we collaborate?" Why don't we develop Transactual, expand the scope, um, become a registered organisation? So that's what happened. We um, became a community, community interest company. We did a um, community survey where we asked people basically what they wanted us to work on. And we you know, recruited volunteers got people involved at sort of a strategic level, at a sort of um, level of, you know, going out and doing research for us, helping us with social media, 
and we've grown and grown since there um more quickly than i'd expected um which is fantastic but also um can be tricky at times mm-hmm. um but never more important time for us to exist i feel than at the moment right. so so to walk us through some of your research if you wouldn't mind yeah so um more recently we've um, had the transition access survey we lo- um we published last year which was survey of more than a thousand trans people in the uk talking about the experience of medical transition or waiting Mm. to medically transition and it was really important for us to look at the impact of waiting but look beyond mental health and physical health and actually talk about the things that often get ignored in the narrative about the impact of waiting on someone's personal relationships Mm. or on their work life because that you know that doesn't occur to a lot of people to even think about those impacts and to consider those impacts and also we wanted to talk about well actually why do people seek out transition related care and what's the benefit like how do people feel having accessed it you know so it was actually whilst there was you know some grim reading and there's also some really positive reading because it's people talking about how having accessed medical transition has made them feel um and with with a lot of our research there's there tends to be things that don't surprise us too much because we do keep ourselves very rooted in the community and listening to the community all the time mm. um so when you know when we found out that a quarter of people self-medicate which you know people do as a um a, a sort of last you know a desperate measure mm. um and it can be you know it can be quite dangerous and it's not something we advocate as an organization but we understand why people would yeah um so that's you know a quarter of people do that um out of our respondents around half had gone privately for at least part of their transition related care mm. and it's important to have that data to really you know really raise the awareness around that you know in a country where um you know medical care is meant to be free at the point of access you've got quarter um half of trans people going private for aspects of their care when actually we are entitled to free care um and another thing we really wanted to pull out with transition access was asking people is there anything they wish they could access on the NHS? Because we know that, for example, some trans women or trans feminine people would actually prefer facial surgery yes. to lower surgery for uh, all manner of reasons. But it's not, you know, facial surgery is not funded on the NHS. Mm. So it's to sort of that sort of information helps us to campaign for improvements. Yeah. to what's offered to trans people um that day you know that data around mental health health impacts of waiting time um you know helps gives us sort of more to talk about there and we were you know really pleased that the um general medical council um eventually cited our research 
on their pages um, for GPs around supporting trans people. So it's, you know, this research is starting to reach the people it needs to the most. Interesting. And and do you see yourself as a, a research organisation or are you, are you a, do you have a change agenda as well? Yeah, we're not exclusively research. The re- I mean, what the research does is su- support our campaigning and advocacy work. Right, good. Because we need we need to be able to go to people with evidence, you know, and lived experience and case studies are absolutely evidence. But for some people, the numbers and those statistics speak as well. Um, and again, you know, with the trans the trans live survey we published in um, twenty twenty one, and that was about people's experiences of transphobia. And we also, you know, we also asked people about um, within the healthcare setting about their experiences of racism and ableism too. And the data we gathered from that, first of all, has helped us highlight with, you know, decision makers like Greater London Authority or with MPs or you know, the report cited in the judiciary um, bench book on fair and equal treatment, you know, it sort of helps us highlight with those sorts of people and those sorts of organisations, this is what trans people experience, but also look for black trans people and trans people of colour, the effect is magnified and heightened. For disabled trans people, the effect is magnified and heightened. For non-binary trans people, there can be experiences of transphobia that are different than those experienced by trans men and trans women because it's such a specific type of transphobia, you know? Um, And it's it's pulling out all that sort of information um, and then being able to put it in a real life context about talking about you know this is this isn't just a number on the page these are people yes and and what sort of barriers are you getting in terms of because obviously you're presenting data you're sharing data you're drawing insights from data that data i'm sure you're campaigning you have advocacy but what what are the big what are the big sort of pressure points where where the sort of whether where are the pushbacks where even the data can't actually persuade people it's, it's a huge issue with the press. There's a huge issue in terms of talk, you know, talking to the government. Um and there's an issue of look, they the anti those sort of acting as anti-trans campaigners in the UK, you know, there's there's been millions upon millions upon millions of pounds pushed into those um, transphobic campaigns. And some of those campaigners have the ear of people in the government. Yeah. You know, some people in the government have been over to Florida um, to talk to Ron DeSantis, you know, and um, Florida, of course, has um, made some really regressive you know, changes to the law. Mm. And it's absolutely part of an orchestrated and well-funded campaign. Um, 
and it's it's not just trans people um with with kind of the thin end of the wedge the you know the target is around abortion um around you know it's a, it's a sort of broader campaigns supposedly protecting protecting the structure of the family you know it says anti-abortion anti-lgbtq plus more broadly even if that's not showing on the surface um just yeah. yet although it is starting to and more so in the states um it's like so- a move it's like a move back to the sort of 1950s the world of the 1950s isn't it just as we were then it's this regressing regressive when we were all great when yeah. the empire existed you know when Amer- when america yeah. was great when we yeah. all knew what we stood for everything was clear we didn't have any of this ambiguity you know uh, people did yeah. what they were told everybody was compliant and people knew their place it was it was yeah. in a sense it was a it was a very it was a very clear world isn't it and you often talk to cis men now and they talk about their role and how that role's changed in in the light of modern evidence and such like and it's it is fascinating that people would willingly move back to that degree of certainty and lose the rights that have been gained so it's i mean clearly something someone's going to benefit from this it's just a question of who is it well it's it's um like like I said, the the it's it's the it's the anti gender movement, and it's it's on the surface it's about gender, mm. but when you look into it, it's also about um, racism. Yeah, power and money usually, isn't it? It's about white white supremacy. It's about um, pushing a particular extremist Christian worldview. Yeah. It's about it's often you know often you'll see the rhetoric tied up with anti-Semitism as well. Um, it's you know sort of echoes of that language, and there's you know there's a reason that the far right have chosen that this is a good um, you know the sort of anti-gender um, arguments are a good bandwagon for them to jump on. You know, so when we're when we're looking at protests outside the Honor Oak pub, that on the surface there it's right wing protests about um, drag queens. Mm. Actually, the rhetoric that they're using is not about drag queens; it's about trans people. Yeah, but it is also deeply LG- um, anti LGBTQ plus more broadly. It's a very much a think of the children rhetoric, and yeah. we've seen you know we've seen sort of the you know social media has been a really for the right wing or the far right has been a really useful radicalization tool because of the way because of the way the algorithms nudge people and create polarization because you you know you're nudged towards certain certain content and you know, you know, it's a huge, huge issue, um, and then the press isn't isn't helping at all because they they don't they never want to print things that trans people are interested about. Mm. So, you know, in two thousand in twenty twenty, the at the time the only the only provider of nhs lower surgery for trans men and non-binary people they lost their contract 
and we're without contract for uh oh i can't even remember how long more than a year mm. um no it will have been more than two years because it took something it took more than a year for nhs england to get around to telling the patients impacted mm. you know so there were patients sitting on a waiting list um thinking that oh yeah it's been it's been disrupted because of covid but it'll be all back on track soon when in fact there was no team with a contract mm. for a big chunk of time. And I had the odds um had a couple of interviews with mainstream press, but ultimately ultimately none of them, you know, none of them published. You know, there's there's lots of things that should have been stories. You know, the enormous Trans Pride London this year. Should have the what should have been a story is how many people turned up, mm. how big it was, how it has grown year on year, the same way that um, Pride in London's covered, um, and at Pride in London, transactual were amongst um, trans organisations marching at the very very front. Not to mention, not a single photograph in the mainstream press. Mm. You know, um, because it doesn't play into what the mainstream press want to say about trans people. So is there a part of the media that we can trust, that we can look at? And there's, there's, there are sort of organisations like uh, the Good Law Project, Byline Times, I think that's one of them, isn't it? I mean, yeah. where, where can we find a more objective form of reporting about our issues? The Metro are good um independent good right um, so Lebedev's organizations mm. it's yeah but in terms of in terms of um and obviously you know obviously the lgbtq plus sector um press you know pink news diva attitude gay times washington blade um but you know and then yeah, you know, or you know, advice, Ben Hunt advice has done some good work. Freddie McConnell did some work for Vice that was very good. So it's these sort of, you know, the likes, the like the non-LGBTQ plus media, the likes of Vice, um, Byline Times, Navarra, it's less, you know, less mainstream. And it's sort of those outlets, yeah, you might get something. Um but, you know, mainstream press, very little. You know, to the extent, Gillian, that I was invited to go on Good Morning Britain, mm. being a couple of things that delayed it, but I was invited because the researcher had spotted, was had been looking into the rise in people crowdfunding right. to pay for surgery that's available on the NHS. Mm. And they noticed a significant, significant proportion to people, um, trans men and non-binary people fundraising for top surgery. So I was going to go on and talk about why they're doing that. Um, the original guest um, that was going to be on with me sounded great. It was a surgeon, um, able to give sort of that medical perspective. And then the day before, um, this, the date where it was finally going to go ahead because there were just a few 
other things came up in current affairs like it like it does um yeah, on exactly. of those sorts of programs and i was you know having the call about oh this is what time your car will pick you up tomorrow and all of that and by the way we've inv invited insert name of um famous famously um anti-trans doctor here mm. you know i won't name any names but it's not someone I wanted to be in the same room as, let alone, you know, having a conversation with him. And it was sudden. It was suddenly that this wasn't going to be a conversation about why why are people crowdfunding for surgery. It was going to turn into a conversation about should trans people have surgery. Hmm. And that's you know com completely sort of different. So it's sort of yeah, so even even um sometimes when you think, oh we yeah, we might like finally get listened to about this on the sort of mainstream platform, and then it's taken away. <laughs> and it's you know, it's, um our press officer um gave you know, gave the sort of example of so well, you know, that they said that they needed balance because it's controversial. Yes, special thing to be talking about. But I wonder if they were talking about um, cosmetic surgery. You know, would they would they have had someone on for balance with that? If they were talking about IVF, would they have had someone on for balance for that? Because some people don't agree with IVF, mm. you know. Um, and there's this constant double standard that's applied to us. It's it's interesting though. I wonder. So, if you talk about so you, you talk about the sort of vast array of people lined up against this, the media, and under an over an overarching philosophy, great funding, resources, campaigning, possibly Tufton Street, the government. You don't get the sense that on the other side of the campaign, there's that there's a sort of an integrated, collegiate, harnessed, activated response to it it feel it feels like we're very truncated splintered uh all shouting with the same or different voices no messages aligned i don't know if that's been part of their campaign to split us up but i don't i just wonder whether we're missing that integrating um driving force like in the old days you know press of change used to do this but there doesn't seem to be anything now i mean you know as, as a member of the community you know i look at you know my own business skills and think you know there's no one there's no one jumping up and down coming to me and saying you know why aren't we helping them it seems it seems as if it seems as if we're all shouting very loudly or very quietly <laughs> with, with a megaphone as best we can how, how do we how do we coalesce how do we begin to draw all these different strands of trans activism trans knowledge trans research and, and more importantly trans creativity together because I, I i made a reference to um on a previous podcast the idea that the trans men who stood in the um, miss italy podcast um, um competition because they'd outload um um, people who have been assigned female at birth so all the trans men stood for that and that's sort of an evidence of a, a brilliant piece of integrated orchestrated creativity and I and I don't see that in the UK so much that may be my own lack of um, insight but where where is it? I think in terms of the working together 
and sort of unified voice that you know a lot of there is a lot of working together that happens um it's just sometimes that it doesn't get talked about publicly because there's you know there's certain certain types of sort of campaigning and advocacy work that you just wouldn't talk about publicly either because it's not particularly interesting um or because it's not it's not helpful <laughs> to talk about it or you know or, or other reasons like you know not showing your hand um to use a playing cards analogy sure. um and i think that you know i think there are bits of creativity and i think with such with such a diverse um group of people and i think that the, you know the difference between trans communities and the sort of the anti-trans movement is there's we're far there's far more diversity in um trans people because we don't exist because of a social or cultural phenomenon we just exist and always have done right we're a natural natural part of life whereas the anti-trans movement has sprung up from somewhere you know so th there's that point of difference um i think yeah it can be it can be it can be difficult to know for you know people just starting out in sort of wanting to campaign and things it can be difficult for people to know well where what what do we do who who should we talk to to make sure um we you know we've got that joined up approach mm. and of course there's a lot of people that don't necessarily know to do that as well so, so sometimes it's not knowing um who to talk to um big, big opportunity for me to say if you're interested in campaigning on trans issues if you're already an organization come and talk to um, us at transactual we're very much about working together but also if you're an individual come and talk to transactual and see how you can get involved um so there's that and it's the and it's the getting together and um making sure we're talking to each other and we're not going to agree on everything and that's okay um but you know at least finding co you know common ways of moving forward and it's definitely something that people try to do but like i said because there's that um that sort of real range of diversity within the community can make it hard and the other thing that can make it hard is that building those links takes time and energy and we're all tired you know and i say we're all as in trans people in the uk you know because we're just you know facing sort of a battering after battering after battering and it's tiring it's emotionally tiring whether you realize it's tiring you out or not mm. um and for, the, for those sort of activists it's particularly tiring and sort of sort of you know balancing things is really hard but yeah definitely sort of uh, you know i would say sort of we're stronger when we're together and more effective so, when so, we're together and i agree with that and uh and i think it's really important and there's two practical things on your website which i'm looking at the moment um Oh, I was looking at earlier that I think there's two things. One is signing petitions. People think that's uh, it's something, isn't it? Sign petitions, but actually, much more importantly, is writing to your MP. And and the thing is, MPs respond to um, to the volume of letters, not necessarily the quality of letters. 
So sometimes, you know, it's interesting, you know, on a previous podcast, Jen and I talked about the, the recent Labour Party changes and we, we wondered if there was a big game afoot. Um, but the big game afoot works when actually our community rises up and actually states what we need. And it's it's a relatively simple thing to write a relatively straightforward 100-word um, um missive to a politician and say what you're thinking and i notice on your website you've got some um some sort of templates of that which are really sort of useful so i'd encourage people to look at transactional.org.uk blog why should i tell my mp that i'm afraid so it's really useful something very practical and i think i think it's that thing isn't it it's, it's having a resource that you can actually immediately turn to your disposal because as you say we're tired and we don't need to send a thousand individually handcrafted letters. It's better to send a thousand versions of one straightforward letter because that's where the impact comes from, isn't it? Yeah, to an extent. I'd say personalise it somewhat because you need to you need to tailor it to whether your MP uh what your MP is interested in, um, who you know, what party they're from, because sort of what will resonate with them will, will differ slightly, but also making it personal. So if you challenge yourself, how does it impact me? Um, if it doesn't impact you directly, how does it impact your friends, family members, colleagues? You know, so putting those, yes, using a template and having those clear messages, but sort of including that personal story of the impact because it's personal stories that sort of you know ultimately win people over but yeah on the transactional website we've got a whole um toolkit called actions for trans people um or change no sorry change for trans people actions that you can take yeah so there's, there's a whole range of things and there's you know there's something for whether you've got 10 minutes or 10 hours you know there's there's all sorts of things um that people can do and there's a nice downloadable version as well um, if you don't want to be hovering over it on the internet. Good. And I think it's important to leave people with a sense that there is something they can do because uh, I, I was very uh, I was very minded by the um, Alistair Campbell book, you know, but what can I do? Because that's the point, isn't it? Yes, we're tired, but, you know, we can reduce the stress. We can, we can, we can, we can be part of something if there is something we can do and take control of what we can approach. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I see this as a sort of one of those um, peaks and troughs type moments. And I'm quite optimistic about the future because I always think when you're, we're not quite at the bottom of the slump yet. But, you know, the thing with slumps is that we tend to then fight back from them. So, you know, as we near the bottom of this, we know things will turn in our favour. Just a question of when, isn't it? But um, are you broadly optimistic about the future to leave us on a positive note? Or are you a bit more sanguine? I'm a very optimistic person. You have to, you have to remain optimistic. Yeah. So, you know, what, I, what I'd say to people is don't waste your energy arguing with transphobes yeah. that have been radicalised. Don't do it. Don't waste your energy. It's unhealthy. Instead, spe spend your energy on making sure you're sort of doing good self-care, supporting yeah. um, your trans, you know, friends, family members, colleagues. And, yeah have some hope things are really really grim but we'll get through it together because there's so many so many of us fighting this and if you've not got the energy to fight it that's okay there are people fighting it if you 
find it helpful to put your energy into doing something, I know I do, then get you know get involved, volunteer for an organisation, um, and and sort of find out what you can do, or you know be right into your MP, meeting your MP, you know things like that. But you know ultimately in society there are more people in our supportive of us than are against us and that's that and the the fact that we've always been in here been here and always will be here is going to ultimately get us through this that's they're really wise words and if you want to campaign and be um involved in that thing you can talk to transactual uh, ourselves at Transvox and of course if you want to be more on the supportive side and the care and the nurturing side of this which is equally as important and of course Beyond Reflections the organisation that we support uh, is a, a worthy recipient of any volunteering time. So it's been a, an absolute delight to talk to you today and I really do thank you for your time it's absolutely fascinating to meet you and to to hear more about your work and uh, anything we can do to support you we will and um, hopefully we can touch base again in due course. Thanks, Julian. It was great to chat. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transvox. It's been a joy to have you with us. Um, if you want to um, make contact with us, you can contact us at Gillian at transvox.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the work we do, please go to Patreon and go to page Transvox. And all of our money goes to our nominated charity. And Jen, you've chosen the charity for the next number of episodes. Which one have you chosen? Our charity is called Beyond Reflections, which is a charity that provides support and counselling to trans people, non-binary people and their friends and their families across the UK. An amazing charity doing some amazing work, really important. So please, if you can give. Great. And if you want to go and have a look at Beyond Reflections, it's beyond-reflections.org.uk. And, uh, but as I say, if you'd like to make a contribution to what we're doing, because we love to help the people who help us. Uh, again, if you've got ideas for um, the show, things you'd like to ask us, questions, comments, applause, or um, brickbats, feel free to send it all Absolutely. in to Gillian at transvox.co.uk. Until the next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.